0: From Washington University in St. Louis's McKelvey School of Engineering, I'm your host, Dean Aaron Bobick, and this is Engineering the Future, where we explore pressing problems of today in which engineering discovery, innovation, and education can provide solutions for tomorrow. Welcome to our final episode of our four-part series on nanoparticles. In the last episode, we discussed some of the medical applications of using engineered nanoparticles in both therapeutics and diagnostics. In this, our last episode, we'll discuss some other innovative uses of these engineered nanoparticles in a variety of industrial applications. So talking with Hong Chen, she mentioned working with our colleague, Professor Pratim Biswas, who works in our Energy, Environment, and Chemical Engineering Department. And Pratim has been providing her with the nanoparticles that she takes advantage of in her work. But Pratim has done... Uh, much work uh, that uses nanoparticles in a variety of ways. So I thought I could close out by chatting with him just a little bit to understand what he does. So joining us is Pratim Biswas, who is the Lucy and Stanley Lapata Professor in the EECE Department. Pratim, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Yeah. So Pratim, I got to start with. Um, so I've only been here now a couple of years, and uh, you know, people uh, affectionately refer to you as Professor Aerosols. Uh, you're you're all about aerosols, and I didn't know a lot about aerosols has something to do with uh, you know basically spraying stuff but you use aerosols to produce these nanoparticles now that's different than Shrikant we talked to Shrikant Sangmanini about using chemistry to do it so can you briefly just describe what it means to you know what are aerosols and how do you use those to produce nanoparticles
1: Yeah aerosols are basically small particles suspended in some gaseous medium and the way we uh, sort of utilize this it's a fascinating field which deals with The formation of these small particles, their growth, their transport, how they move around, and then ultimately even their deposition. So, we utilize these principles to intentionally produce materials uh, from the gas phase. So, we start with the molecular state and then can assemble these things into clusters and then particles. And obviously, uh, as these are wanted or good particles, as we refer to, uh, we can tune the functionality for specific applications.
0: So those of us that are, uh, most of our understanding of aerosols has to do with spray cans. Right. Uh, Basically there, there's a liquid and there's a gas under pressure and that forces the liquid through some sort of a nozzle. And that nozzle, because of the way the pressure interacts there, causes this liquid to essentially produce airborne particles. Correct. Now, I guess what you guys do must be a little more sophisticated than that.
1: Correct. Yeah. So here we are actually starting with some precursor chemicals in the vapor state, or what we refer to as the molecular state. So we have we have something that's already
0: gaseous, it's yes, vapor. Yes,
1: it's uh, gaseous. They could react because chemical reactions could be driven rapidly in this state, and then we can produce a material that is desired.
0: So. Shri Khan and Hong Chen have already talked about using these particles in medical domains. Right. Uh, but I know that you've used them for many other types of applications where you've engineered these particles to right. be good for those applications. Right. What are your, some of your more uh, interesting ones?
1: So I'll pick uh, the first one in the energy sector. We, of course, talk a lot about solar energy. But if you look around, there are very few uh, individuals or institutions, organizations that have solar panels on their roof. Uh, primarily because of the cost. We still make solar panels with the same technology that we make cell phones with. Uh, So aerosol techniques are ideally suited uh, to produce uh, photovoltaic materials and then ultimately devices which can uh, become solar panels.
0: Previously, we've talked a little bit about nanoparticles, about Some of their properties are that they've got tremendous amount of surface area as a function of their volume, and that gives them interesting uh, reactivity. We've talked about how it interacts with light in unusual ways. Yes, What about nanoparticles makes them useful as photovoltaic materials?
1: So there are a couple of fold of uh, uh, reasons for this. One is uh, the ability to obtain a certain composition that is desired, which has these Uh, in some case, optimal properties of, let's say, let's just pick light harvesting. So I can tune the composition. I would work with theorists who would tell this is a desired composition. Using aerosol techniques, I can readily make a host of materials in the lab now and then prove that these are good light harvesting materials so from a theory
0: perspective you can yeah. say something about what the nature of a material should be correct what is that, what does that mean the nature of the material you talk about material properties what properties are we getting at that matter
1: so for solar cells its multiple properties one is of course the light harvesting capability most of the semiconducting oxides might be harvesting Off the visible band, you know, sunlight that comes down to us. We want to tune the material so it can readily absorb visible light, as we call it.
0: And I presume you also have to control the shape and size of the particles. Correct. You can end up being sensitive to light
1: frequencies that you want
0: because, for example, they're
1: very plentiful in the daytime. Correct. So it's both the composition, the shape, the structure and uh, things like that. So a host of properties.
0: So what's another application for which you found that nanoparticles can
1: be brought to bear? Right. So another uh, fabulous area is actually moving these nanoparticles around. You heard from our colleagues, Hong Chen, that we can use these to deliver into the human body and target delivery at a certain organ, a certain region of the human body. We come from the Midwest here. You know, there's wide based agriculture here. And if you look at the fertilizers that are used, less than 30% of the chemicals are picked up by the plants. Then uh, there's an added problem. They run into the environment as runoff and create all problems on water bodies. Instead, if I could prepare a nanocomposite that can be readily picked up by the roots, number one, at a certain rate that the plant wants to pick it up, or I could also deliver it as a spray through the leaves. You know, the leaves have gas exchange, they have stomata, which are 100 micrometers, as thick as our hair, uh, openings to, for gas exchange. I, if I make it the right size, I can deliver it through that very efficiently.
0: Ah, so, uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, fertilizer is just chemistry. Yes. It's a matter of producing, pr- providing the right molecules to the plant. Right. And what you're saying is, instead of dumping them in aggregate and then hoping it goes up, I guess, through the water, right. uh, mm-hmm. that we can do it through the air, essentially, yeah. through the uh, pores. I'll, I'll call them also. pores, even though they're not correct. exactly pores, uh, in the plants themselves. Yes. And this is where, again, having nanotechnology available so you can make the chemistry that you want to be in the shape and size that you want right. would give for efficient delivery.
1: Correct. That's correct. And, uh, you know, farmers have been using this now as uh, tests or field trials. And they're very uh, excited about this product because they have to use a lot less. saves them money. So the benefit of this nanoparticle technology is directly to the consumer, in this case, the farmer.
0: Well, that's, that's great. I mean, I think mm-hmm. uh, when we think of nanotechnology, we tend to think of very high-tech kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the trends that people are unaware of is how high-tech has permeated agriculture. Correct. And this is uh, one example uh, of doing that. Well, Pratim, don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, We've learned a lot about nanoparticles. Uh, I will say it's from you that I learned about the difference between the good and the bad and the ugly uh, (laughs) particles. And I hope by now that our our audience has too. So thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed
0: it. So that concludes our four-part series on nanoparticles. We learned something about what these particles are, how they are formed, and most importantly, why they have special properties. The fact that they have very little mass for the amount of surface area makes them highly reactive and is part of why some particles are so harmful to human health when in the atmosphere. But their small size makes them interact with light in unique ways. This in turn allows us to use them for interesting applications ranging from medical diagnostics to solar panel materials. As Spock would say, fascinating. Well, thanks for joining us. This is Dean Aaron Bobick at Washington University in St. Louis, and this is Engineering the Future.